It's Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Governor Chris Sununu gave his inaugural address yesterday, beginning his fourth term as New Hampshire governor, and state lawmakers met for the first time in 2023. Now that the state house is almost evenly divided along party lines, what can lawmakers accomplish in the new year? Here to discuss all the details are NHPR's senior political reporter, Josh Rogers, and New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning. Okay, Josh, let's start with you. What's the tone that Sununu set for his fourth term as he was sworn in yesterday? I think you could say it was proud. Uh, You know, you may have heard him say, uh, we are the gold standard, Rick. Um, But also that, you know, New Hampshire is not immune from challenges, but the governor believes there are challenges that can be met. Uh, There was a real emphasis on kind of a first in the nation, these colors don't run. Um, You know, we need to work together was a message to lawmakers. But he also told them that his veto pen is uh, full of ink. Uh, but he wants to get stuff done, but not too much details on particular. So in a way, it was very much of a piece with what you could call Sununuism, but, um, you know, not too much for the state house audience, which was actually pretty small, which, you know, might be expected for a fourth inaugural, not a packed house. Uh, there wasn't much for people in the state house to complain about. And, you know, for the national audience that Sununu is also courting this speech, was kind of a primer on New Hampshire exceptionalism, Sununu style. And it's a speech, it's easy to imagine giving variants of this as he kind of circuit rides national Republican events, which he indicates he's planning to do in the near term. Right. Now, Ethan, um, from your standpoint, what did, what did, uh, what were some of your main takeaways? What did Sununu have to say about his priorities heading into this session? Yeah, well, I'd agree with Josh. It was a very broad sort of 30,000 foot view speech, um, a speech that Sununu is comfortable giving. I, I think in speeches like these, uh, you know, Josh mentioned New Hampshire exceptionalism. Sununu really is a messenger. He has been for this idea that New Hampshire does things better. Um, but, you know, for people who are trying to read the tea leaves as to what his you know national ambitions might be in 2024, I think this speech, you definitely saw a lot more of that than um, than perhaps usual uh, in terms of comparing New Hampshire to other states. He, you know, often talked about ways that we do things that 49 other states don't do. Uh, he talked about leadership. He talked about um, he's talking up, you know, the New Hampshire governmental system, um, sort of prioritizing access to public officials. Um, and as Josh said, yeah, really giving kind of an introduction. So in in a lot of ways, in terms of new ideas and policies, we didn't see much of that. A big caveat is that he has a budget address in February. That's usually where we'll see more um, cap- more policies that are catered to uh, you know lawmakers who are looking to see what his actual priorities are. Here, like I said, it was a bit, a bit of a high flying speech that also does serve um, multiple audiences and any kind of national audiences that might have tuned in or any national uh, media organizations. I think he definitely was sort of framing a lot of how he described the state mm-hmm. to them as well. Yeah. Well, what, what, Ethan, what did Sununu have to say about working with lawmakers now that the House is so closely divided, especially heading into this, this you know, budget? Yeah, it's interesting. He said that it presented an awesome opportunity when he talked about how closely divided the House is. I think he's probably the first person in the state to to present this as an awesome opportunity. I think it's uh, more seen as like a headache for most people who are actually having to deal with it in the legislature. Um, He argued that this is, you know, the opportunity comes from the ability to work together and and find innovative solutions. Um, And he pointed to a few examples of that, uh, the um, energy and the the heating and and electric assistance that was passed 
the one-time assistance um, that the legislature kind of came together to pass that was that was really spearheaded by the governor. He pointed to that as an example of parties working together. Of course, there's a lot a litany of examples in the last, especially since the pandemic broke out, of the parties not working together, and not only not working together, but barely talking to each other in leadership. So the governor's optimism uh, is, you know, a characteristic of his, but it often crashes against realities in, in the state house. Um, but again, he did point to it as an opportunity. We'll see how it works in practice. One thing that he did say also, though, is he kind of called out the possibility of what he called political extremism. And I think that was telling. Um, he said, quote, New Hampshire, like America, is not immune to political extremism, but we must do everything we can in our power to push back against it. And I think that harkens a little bit to some of the uh, friction that he's had with House Republicans specifically, especially as we've seen more from the free state faction get promoted up. And they've been a thorn in his side for the last six years. And he was uh, kind of, you know, hinting that uh, he is going to be pushing back against any um, of members of his own party that might cause problems right. politically for him. Right. Uh, we'll see how that goes. So, Josh, the, the governor talked about defending New Hampshire's first in the nation status when it comes to the presidential primary. Yeah. How does he plan to address the DNC's proposal to move South Carolina up? Well, I mean, we have our law, the state law that says New Hampshire uh, must uh, hold this primary seven days before any similar contest. Uh, he, he mentioned that. And you know, beyond that, his speech included plenty of ridicule for South Carolina, which is the state that Democratic leaders, including President Biden, proposes uh, leap to the front of the queue. Uh, you know, Sununu cited the the state's low primary participation rate by voters, and he he mentioned the 2020 choice by the Republicans uh, in South Carolina to skip any primary. Uh, you know, when when President Trump is running for re-election, uh, as emblematic of why South Carolina would be a really bad place to to vote first. Uh, you know, yesterday, one thing that was interesting is, is, is his emphasis was very much on a bipartisan defense of the primary, which has certainly been historically the norm when New Hampshire's place in the calendar has been threatened. But, you know, it's also worth remembering as recently as a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sununu was telling reporters that Democrats here, quote, blew it in defending the primary. And, you know, uh, uniting with Democrats isn't really Sununu's first instinct. And so we'll see where this united front goes. But, you know, New Hampshire politicians and a good slog of the public do like New Hampshire voting first. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe this uh, sort of uber allies kind of mode sticks. Yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of talk of, of it seemed like uh, state pride yesterday. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Sununu has made several national appearances this past month, as you alluded, Josh. Uh, he, he's been interviewed by The New York Times, CNN and other outlets, long form interviews. What does this national media tour say about other ambitions that the governor might have? We, we've we've been seeing ads popping up in Iowa and South Carolina. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say. I mean, he, he said he hasn't ruled anything out. Could be another run for another term as governor. Could be run for president. Uh, could be neither of those things. I mean, at a minimum, he appears to like being talked about as a rising figure in the National Republican Party. And, you know, whether this this sort of media blitz and, and sort of overtures to a national audience is in service of a future campaign or whether, you know, he has other goals, maybe a big corporate job when he stops being governor. Uh, you know, we don't know. Um, but, you know, it may also be, as he suggests, mostly about promoting New Hampshire style governance. But, you know, it is, is obvious that his national profile is growing and he clearly seems to be enjoying that. Yeah. 
This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Josh Rogers and Ethan DeWitt from the New Hampshire Bulletin. If you've got some questions about what's been happening in New Hampshire, you can always email us and inform our reporting. The email address is voices at nhpr.org. State lawmakers gathered this week for the first time in 2023. The first order of business is always adopting legislative rules. So what came out of that, that meeting this week, Ethan? Sure. I think what's uh, kind of more significant is what didn't come out. Um, a lot of rule changes that Democrats had pushed for um, were voted down, specifically around remote participation. So this is something that House Democrats in particular have been pushing for for really the last three years, two years and, and change, um, trying to get Republicans to agree to allow for lawmakers to participate in votes on bills uh, without necessarily being in the House or to hold committee meetings remotely over Zoom uh, and allow for people to testify over Zoom. Um, some of those things happened during the pandemic and then then kind of ended. Uh, voting on, never happened. Um, and there was a lawsuit that was filed about it. But the first meeting of the year in the House was the chance for them to try to ask for those rule changes. And again, they were voted down. So the rules are remaining the same. You will have to show up in person um, to both committees and to the, the floor. And, you know, in an especially divided year, that could make the difference for a lot of votes. Um, the other thing that was rejected was a return to a ban of firearms in on the House floor. This is something that Democrats implemented under Speaker Steve Shirtliff. It had been implemented before 2011, but in recent years, it's become a bit of a football. So those things didn't happen. The, the things that did pass were much smaller in uh, scale. Josh, one of the biggest tasks is crafting the state budget. What, what are you keeping an eye on as lawmakers are tackling that? Well, first off, it would be what the governor proposes. Uh, what does he appear to want? Like, how much does he choose to deal with the House during the budget process, as Ethan mentioned, he's had sort of a fractious relationship with with House leaders at times, um, you know, in an effectively even split in the House. How does the House itself deal with the budget? You know, the state Senate, which remains 1410 Republican um, majority by dint of the calendar, the Senate always uh you know, gets the budget last and tends to shape the budget more during most budget seasons. And that could be the case this year. Uh, another thing I'm going to be watching is how how pure is this budget in terms of is uh, being a fiscal document? Uh, the current budget obviously contained a lot of non-budgetary policy issues, including uh, the ban on abortion. After uh, 24 weeks, most abortions that, that was put into place, limits on certain teachings, you know, I could go on. Uh, this budget could be cleaner, um, you know, probably. Is that uh, because the, probably, the House probably is so... due to the numbers? And, yeah. and, you know, it's certainly been stated as a goal. Um, yeah. But, you know, in general, budgets in their final form kind of boil down to, to partisan documents and partisan party line votes. Uh, you know, this year may upend that, but I mean, that's months away. And, you know, there's going to be a lot to watch in the meantime. Yeah, it's all theory right now. Ethan, what have you heard from party leaders now that the House is, is almost evenly split? What kinds of issues are we expecting to, to see bipartisan support for? Yeah, well, just quickly on the budget, um, you know, there's two kind of schools of thought over where the budget could go. It could go to something that you could see bipartisanship as the governor would like, or you could see a little bit of a circling of the wagons, similar to what you're seeing in Congress right now this week, where, uh, you know, because I talked to Ken Weiler about his ideas for the budget. 
Uh, he wants to he says he wants to work with Democrats and find things that can get broad appeal. But other observers say that because the, the majority is so slim, it may actually be a game of talking to very conservative holdouts, similar to what you're seeing Kevin McCarthy doing down in Washington. And in that scenario, you might see a budget that is actually more conservative than it might have been in a less divided year. And then there's a question whether the budget passes at all. In terms of what um, beyond the budget, there might be bipartisan support for. I think two things to watch would be housing and uh, marijuana uh, legalization. Um, the House has consistently passed cannabis legalization, and some um, legalization supporters say that the Senate is going to be a friendlier body than it has been historically, given that some of the new members to the Senate were former House representatives who supported it in the House. We'll see how that plays out. And housing is a key issue that has sort of plagued the state for years. And the speaker has um, put in a special committee to try to pass legislation around housing. So that will be very interesting to see whether parties can come together. Around. Well, just quickly, I want to ask you about that. What, what, what role will these new committees play in addressing, you know, housing and, and child care? Well, the idea is they're, they're, they're called special committees, but um, at, in, in New Hampshire, committees just issue recommendations. They ha everything has to be approved on the House floor. But what they will do, um, supporters hope, is create a venue to, to have more focus on both housing and child care. That's the second committee. Um, and that focus will, they hope, kind of lead to more thoughtful legislation that can actually get uh, more uh, momentum behind it than the legislation we've seen in the past, which okay. often dies um, pretty quickly. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Josh Rogers, NHPR's senior political reporter, and Ethan DeWitt, a reporter with the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thanks to both of you. You're welcome. You can find all the Thanks. stories we talked about this morning and more at NewHampshireBulletin.com and NHPR.org. I'm Rick Ganley. You're listening to NHPR.